It's very appropriate this morning that we uh, discuss marriage in the context of the Lord's Supper. Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19 uh, speak of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ in the context of marriage. And so I find this to be very, very appropriate this morning. And with that, I want to invite your attention to Song of Solomon chapter 6 and verse 4. We will actually look at uh, chapter 6 verse 4 to chapter 8 verse 4. It reminds me of Ralph and Janice who were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And as they were celebrating, somebody asked Ralph how they had celebrated their 25th. He said, well, we went to Beijing, China. And he said, well, what are you going to do on your 50th? He said, I'm going back to get her. (laughs) With all of the challenges and difficulties that come to marriage, it's very, very uh, simple. In fact, it's very easy and it's very normal to grow apart. Uh, Everything from uh, bills to pay, schedules to keep, jobs to hold down, uh, children to raise if there are children, uh, and uh, obligations to keep can end up distracting one another from uh, marital responsibilities. It's very, very uh, uh, possible for the fires of marriage to burn low. And, and marriage really should be seen like a fire. It should. Uh, it, it can be warm to begin with, to say the least, but it needs stoking and it needs additional fuel. Uh, marriage can be considered like a garden, which is actually in the text here. And, and that is, uh, a garden can be very beautiful, but you have to weed it. You've got to nourish it, and you've got to water it as well. Marriage is much like that. And so for those of you who are not at the beginning of marriage, but you are actually beyond the beginning and you've been married a while, I want to encourage you as Christian people who demonstrate the Garden of Eden existence in marriage to give attention to marriage appropriately to keep the fire burning and everything blossoming as it should be. And it takes some work to do that. And by the way, you may be surprised that I mentioned you as the people who demonstrate the Garden of Eden. Marriage is one thing that survived the fall. Marriage is that which was created in the Garden of Eden that has survived the fall of Adam and Eve and with Adam and Eve, the whole human race. And it is something God has given the earth to magnify Him and to bring great pleasure and joy to the human race family. And so if that indeed is what marriage happens to be, then it it behooves us to give our very best energies to stoking the fire and feeding the fire. It behooves us to weed the garden. It behooves us to nourish and to water it as well. Well, what in the world can I do then to improve marriage? Well, there's several things that arise in the text, and I'm going to get some things out of order this morning on purpose. In your outline, you find uh, point number three. I'm going to make that point number one this morning, uh, and I'm going to do it on purpose. The first thing is to increase physical affection. When you find fires burning low, when you find uh, that uh, indeed there are weeds in the garden of your marriage, when you find that the leaves and the flowers and the buds are wilting, increase physical affection. C.S. Lewis said this about Christianity and physical things, including sexuality. 
He said Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good. And you know, that's entirely true. Buddhism and Hinduism and the other isms don't generally do that. They teach that the body is evil to one degree or another. The Christian faith says the body is sacred, it's good, and God made it. And what we do with the body is a matter that uh, interests God. Uh, And he goes on to say, the Christian faith teaches that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body in the birth of Christ, that some kind of body is going to be given to us in heaven, and that it's going to be a central part of our happiness. Now, we could go on to say the body was very involved in the crucifixion of Christ, and that's why Jesus took on a human body in Bethlehem. He was God, and God can't die, but to pay for sin someone had to, therefore God-man was born in Bethlehem. And he goes on to say, Christianity has glorified marriage more than any other religion. Nearly all the greatest love poetry in the world has been produced by Christians, at least up to that time, in the 40s when he is um, broadcasting this. If anyone says that sex in itself is bad, Christianity contradicts him at once. Now, since World War II, we have become so accustomed to the abuse and distortion and misuse of sexuality that we can recall at this, but it has not always been so. God has created sexuality, and when it is done appropriately between a man and woman married to one another within the bounds of marriage, God says that it is good. In fact, during the Lord's Supper, we will affirm the value of the body of Christ. Now, in chapter 7, verses 10 through 8, which I'm not going to take time to read the whole text this morning. But in chapter 7, verses, uh, verse 10 to chapter 8, verse 4, we find a text that is very physical, sensual, and sexual here in the biblical text. That is to say, God did not give... Now, please listen to me carefully. Watch the end of my nose to hear everything I'm saying. God did not give marriage for couples to be celibate, except in two cases. Number one, when there is mutual agreement, mutual, mutual, mutual agreement. I'm emphasizing that for a reason, for spiritual purposes, according to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 10. And second, there are oftentimes physical age reasons why uh, that would be uh, important as well. So physical uh, and spiritual reasons are the only cause for celibacy in marriage. In fact, I would say to you that if marriage is struggling, we've got to be the kind of people that initiate physical affection. And I really want to encourage men to be the ones that take up that banner. And it may be nothing more than a kiss and to become affectionate that way. And I would encourage, especially in front of children, especially in front of children, uh, it, that needs to be modeled in front of kids. You need to be discreet, need to be appropriate, but husbands and wives, mothers and daddies need to be physical just enough before children that they suspect that you are up to something. And I think that's profoundly important. And it can begin when the man makes a commitment to every day kissing his wife several times a day. And I'd like to demonstrate that. Do I have any volunteers? Okay, all right, little girl in the orange shirt. Come on up. Now, for guests, let me say 
this is my wife, just in case, all right? Now, several times a day, or at least a couple times a day, in the morning and evening, especially in front of children, you need a little peck. And, and then you need something a little more elongated, okay? Okay. And then you need one of these. You better get ready, honey. <laughs> and all of God's people said, amen. Yeah, thank you. Get, get there right there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good job. You know Oh, is it hot in here or is it just me? I was ready for the first three. I wasn't ready for that fourth one. Usually we extend that over a period of about 12 or 16 hours. But anyhow, she knows how to ha ham it up. Of course, this reminds me of the um, fellow who brought his catatonic wife into the pastor's study for counseling. She hadn't said a word in years. She never blinked. She was, you know, essentially mummified after years of neglect and and uh, he had ignored her all through the years. And the pastor asked a few questions and summed up the case and walked around his desk and grabbed her, embraced her, and gave her a long, passionate kiss. I don't do that in pastoral counseling, by the way, but this pastor did. And he looked at the, well, and she came alive. And he looked at the man and said, now she needs that every day. He said, but pastor, I can only get her in on Tuesdays. Listen. Fellas, it is your responsibility to initiate this. So, an increase in physical affection. But second, an increase in mental attention. Personal knowledge of someone is very good. In fact, David will say in Psalms 139 verse 14 that God knew him even in the womb and formed and shaped his inward parts. Beloved, if... God knows, if God knows details about an unborn child, surely you can know something about your wife, ladies, about your husband. If personal knowledge to that degree is important to God, then it should be important enough to us. Now, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, look what he says. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Tirzah lovely as Jerusalem. Now, David Jeremiah preached on this text this morning. I listened to him for just a moment, and I appreciate him doing this. He stole all my thunder. But Tirzah happened to be uh, a rural town, a very simple place. And so he's saying, you are, your, your, be your beauty is, is very simple. Uh, she was the kind of girl that could roll out of bed, wake up in the morning, go on without any kind of preparation, and just be gorgeous in his eyes in his eyes. Maybe not to anyone else, but to him. And they're married by this point. But then you're as lovely as the sophisticated city, the, ma the magnificent city of Jerusalem. You're overwhelming like Jerusalem, and you're as simple as this rural village, Tirzah. Then he goes on in verse 5, turn your eyes away from me, for they've overcome me. In other words, he looks at her and he melts. He knows about her eyes. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I don't recommend in 21st century you tell your gal that, but 
But if you'll imagine for just a while a, a flock of goats or sheep descending down a hill, uh, especially the kind that a king and his royal son would have, you can imagine how beautiful that is. And so that, that's what he's saying about her hair. And they're going down from Gilead, a very beautiful mountain in Israel. Your teeth are as a flock of sheep which have come up from washing. They've just been sheared. They've been washed. And so in a day before sophisticated dental hygiene, that's, very, that's rather important. Uh, everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. So she had taken good care of herself as far as hygiene, and it contributed to her beauty. Like a piece of pomegranate or your temples behind your veils. Apparently she had some makeup on. And it reminded him of pomegranates. Um, we pay attention to priorities. We know details about those things which are important to us. And it is important to know details about one another. My wife likes kitchen towels and bathroom towels to have three panels to them when they're folded. I'm a two-panel guy. That was an issue early in our marriage. I wised up. It's no longer an issue. It's no longer an issue. Um, her favorite lipstick is Cherry Glaze. Earlier in our marriage, it used to be Kiss Kiss Crimson. That was a lot of fun. Mary Kay product. Um, her favorite drink is sweet tea, but she usually goes for half and half. Half sweet, half unsweet. She prefers Coca-Cola products over Pepsi products, and of the Coca-Cola products, she prefers Diet Coke over Coke Zero. Uh, and when she gets dressed in the morning, she likes to get dressed in the walk-in closet, and she likes to step out with everything from the foundations to the accessories all prepared. I don't know what foundations and accessories are, but I know she likes it. And what you have to know is I'm not good at this stuff. But even a thick-headed, lug-headed, scatterbrained individual like me knows that. That's the kind of detailed knowledge that we've got to have. This is precisely what Solomon has here in the text for his bride. Now, why is this important? I don't really know. It blesses her for me to know these details, but I don't understand why. And one thing I share with young men in marriage counseling, or those who might be a little older, is this. You don't have to understand, just accept it. In fact, you may never understand. I tell her the same thing as well. Um, it, it's a challenge to understand someone that's different. And you don't get much different than male and female. Trust me, they're entirely different. And it's okay if you don't understand everything, but don't delegitimize what's important to the other person, especially this personal knowledge, just because you don't understand it. I think Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is something we apply to God, and that rightfully so, but I think it could be applicable to one another as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The Lord put this in His Word. Lean not upon your own understanding. Only God understands women, and only God understands men. That's all. And so it, it's not important that you know why some of these things are important, but if they are, they are simply important. I said I don't understand why this is important. One reason I, I, I do understand, 
God knows. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew 10 and Luke 6 that He even knows the number of hairs on your head. My own mother did not know how much hair was on my head. She'd find it easier to count today. But there's still, still, even she did not care enough to know, but the God of heaven knows that kind of detail. And it blesses your partner whenever they know. That's another way to invigorate the marriage relationship. But then third, increase verbal affirmation. Verbal affirmation is good. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the Heavenly Father affirms Jesus and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Marriage manifests this. The kind of blessing and affirmation that is shared with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to appear in marriage. But you know what happens in marriage so often? Sometimes the only, and this can happen between children and parents, the only affirmation, that, or the, the only words that are ever exchanged are negative, critical, or corrective. There's got to be so much more. In fact, when I was a young man, they used to tell us that it takes ten positive words to overcome just one negative criticism. If that's the case, there are a lot of people that are behind. Sometimes that has to do with how we were brought up, and it doesn't phase us, but it phases everyone else. Sometimes it happens to betray and expose maybe a weak view of God. Folks, I think God is the most encouraging person anywhere to be found anywhere. He loves us, and He tells us over and over again. Now, in verses 8 through 10, Solomon does this for his wife. He says in verse number 8, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines. Now, Solomon's young. He's probably inherited these from his father, David. It was never right to do. They gave in to political pressure like the other kings of the earth, and um, uh, it, it eventually ruined Solomon. Uh, but he goes on to talk about all the women that accompany uh, the entourage when he's coming to visit his bride. Then he goes on to verse 9. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. You're it. In other words, Solomon was surrounded by all sorts of beauty and temptation when he was a young man. And yet he's able to say, you are the only one. In fact, at the end of verse 9, the queens and the concubines... They praise you. They praised her. So he is affirming her. And look at the results of this affirmation. Verse 11. I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. This strengthened her to where she felt She was as powerful and strong and stable as a chariot. His words did. What a powerful image. Verbal affirmation. I I don't know if I understand why, but words possess enormous power, and marriage is the most influential relationship among humans. Your spouse may not always communicate this 
But your spouse most likely takes your words very seriously. And in your mouth is the power to mold and shape your spouse. And I want to ask you, what do you want that person to be? Your words need to reflect that. More than any relationship, marriage has the opportunity to shape the mental and emotional and spiritual health of a person. So how strong do you want your husband to be? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. How, how strong do you want your wife to be? Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. If God can affirm us, then surely we can affirm one another. Now, as I said earlier, it's very appropriate to consider marriage when we take the Lord's Supper. Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19 merge marriage with the death of Christ. That comes as no surprise. Christ and His Father affirm the body. The birth of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the future coming kingdom will be very material, along with spiritual. He gives mental attention to His people. Psalms 139, verse 17. How precious also... Are your thoughts to me, O God? How great is the sum of them? He affirms his people too, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine, says the Lord. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. You will walk through the fire of oppression. You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. And when we look at Calvary, there is no reasonable room to doubt this testimony from God Himself. He loves us. No relationship anywhere in the world exists like the sinner's relationship with the Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that today. And I want you to be ready. This morning, you're invited to the table of the Lord, figuratively speaking. If you know Christ as Savior, if you've bowed the knee before Jesus Christ, and you trust only His cross and resurrection. You do that, you can come. And then you need to be obedient to God. He calls each of us to be baptized by immersion, following the conversion experience. If you have, you're invited to the table. Then He invites us to come with integrity. If your relationship with God and your relationship with others is where it needs to be, you can come. These three conditions are met. You come to the table this morning. Now, we will pass the, uh, the uh, elements just once, as John explained, and we invite you to be a part of that. Right now in this moment, let us make sure that we are ready to observe the Lord's Supper. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let's pray together. And in these moments, we're going to let you do serious business with God. Let me guide you in prayer. And you use your own words. But standing where you are, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just simply tell God yes right now? Meaning, yes, Lord, 
whatever you want, whatever you want from me? The answer is yes. I'm yielded, submissive to you. You want me to receive Christ? The answer is yes. Follow you in baptism like Jesus? The answer is yes. Become part of this church? Yes. Reject some attitudes or behaviors? Yes. Abandon my all to build a great marriage? The answer is yes. Did you talk to God about that? Now confess to Him your need that you need to do what He's moving on your heart to do. Now tell Him you're placing your only hope rejecting all other hopes, but your only hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally, Surrender yourself to obedience to Him. Whatever that means. Walking this aisle in just a moment. Getting some spiritual counsel or making a decision public today. Making a change in life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Renewing your commitment. Whatever it means. Use your own words. Father, thank you for hearing us today. And dear God, the answer is yes. Would you manifest the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek you now? And would you gather for yourself today publicly everything you want to gather? May there not be any resistance at all to the work of the Holy Spirit now in these sacred moments. We're going to sing a song. As we sing, staff will be here in the front. You come and make a decision for Christ. Tim, would you lead us?